Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to see you. I've had kind of a smirk and a smile on my face all morning as I'm remembering uh, the, the rhythms and the things like that. It seems like I've been gone for years. We've been gone for years. It's only been a few months. But I've also got a smile on my face because it's good to see so many of you. Um, I've got that smirk that you're like not supposed to have in church. Do you know what I'm saying? It's a mischievous kid smirk, but it just keeps emerging. Joshua and I were responding to the, to the liturgy, and we both got something wrong at the same time, and we both were laughing. Um, it's, it's good to see you. It's fun to see you. Um, and it's a blessing to be up here. It's good to see you from this perspective. Um, Aaron and I, the kids, we're, we are attending a church up there, and uh, it's a good church. Um, in the meantime, it's uh, not this church. It doesn't measure up. And we make sure they know that every week when we go there. We tell them, you know, let them know that they don't measure up. I think it's important to speak the truth in church. <laughs> um, we do miss you guys. We love you. Um, and um, it's, it's good. Thank you. It's good to be back. Um, it's also good to, 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 to speak the word uh, together to you. Um, we're going to look at Luke 9, the passage that was just read. And I want to begin by saying that I have had, much like many of us, to a greater or lesser degree, uh, supernatural experiences. You may not think you have had, but, but, but I think you have, at least in terms of at times I know that you've sensed the Spirit of God in, more than in other times, and perhaps you've had more profound experiences than that. I, and I have, and I, I won't go into those. Some of them not so great, some of them darker, some of them um, better than others. Those, those moments, when I look back on them, they can be profound, and, and they're gifts. They're gifts. But I want to stress that those, are the, those experiences aren't the events that have changed my life or affected my life. In fact, I would argue that the thing that has shaped me most in my life has been from when I was a boy up till now, but my father reading me the Bible every day after dinner. It is the foundation stone of my life. To learning how to pray at, at home, being taught, being read the Word. Um, and then, of course, as you grow up and as we've grown up, perhaps it's the same with you doing it on your own. Being in God's Word. That is the life-shaping, life-empowering force in my life. And so we're going to look at a supernatural experience today. But we're going to look at how God the Father closes that supernatural experience. And we're looking at the transfiguration. It's interesting that Luke never uses that word. Matthew and Mark do. The word is metamorpho. I think I'm getting it right. He describes it, but he never uses the word. And I think it's also important to note the context, context of this experience. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse um, 28. It says, about, about eight days later, Jesus said, after Jesus had said this, he took Peter, James, and John with him and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, this thing took place. It was a prayer retreat. <laughs> Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain to pray, it says. That's, that's the reason they were, they were going off. Again, it was a prayer retreat. And this is a sub-theme, if you will, will, in the book of Luke. Prayer. Prayer. Not only do we hear Jesus speak of prayer often and teach of prayer often, but we consistently see him praying. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, praying. 
praying. We have to recognize that not only is Jesus setting an example for us, but that all of Jesus' ministry was shaped and empowered by prayer. Think of this. Just, just one example. I could give you numerous. The night, be- the, the night before he chose the 12 disciples, he stayed up all night praying. All night praying. Not only is that a physical feat in and of itself, but it shows you how much he was beseeching the Lord and seeking the Lord for important decisions in his life. And I don't mean to be super Sunday school when I say this, but how much more so us. Me. This moment, this event we're going to look at, is brought about by and during prayer. The second thing I want to know before we get into it is that this is a supernatural experience and we want to look at its importance. We are to see the supernatural as just as and maybe more real than the natural and material world around us. That is to say that it is at work right now just as much as the natural world is at work. And we live in a world that is shaped by scientism and reason and ration Rationale, and those are all good things in and of themselves. But we can be overly influenced by them, and they can obscure the fact that the supernatural is always, everybody, always at work. The miracles Jesus does are supernatural actions that kind of enter into our natural world, but this event right here is kind of a glimpse behind the curtain into the supernatural world. The curtain pulled back, and it impacted the disciples profoundly. Not so much in the moment, but in the years and in the, and, and the months and in the days and the years to come. They were not even allowed. It's interesting was that when they leave this, they weren't even allowed to talk about it. And you know how talking about it is a great way to process it, right? If you ever have an experience, you go talk to people, and you often talk to people who haven't had that experience because it can help you. But Jesus said, don't talk to anybody until I've risen from the dead what he said. He says, tuck this experience away. It will be of use later, not so much now. So now we're going to look at this version, and we're going to look at it through three words. That is through three statements, if you will. We're going to look at the transfiguration. We're going to look at it through the words Jesus speaks preceding it. We're going to look at it through Peter's words in the midst of this situation, and then we're going to look at it through the words of the Father as he closes the situation. And here are Jesus' words. It's actually just prior to the passage that was, was read. And it's in every single gospel prior to the Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. In Matthew and Mark, they say almost something identical, something to the effect, the kingdom of God coming. We can know that the transfiguration story is, among many things, one of them was a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Without doubt, that's what we're getting here, a glimpse of the kingdom of God. Luke says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. What the disciples see, these three privileged disciples, is God's kingdom. They're seeing Jesus in a manner of speaking, as he really is. They're seeing, and there is no kingdom without a king, the king. 
the king. They're witnessing the king as he is. Jesus, in a matter of speaking, is the kingdom, veiled or unveiled. Not like when it's veiled, he's not the kingdom. But Jesus says they're going to see something particularly revealing about me. Where the king is, the kingdom is. This was given to the disciples. And they weren't, like I said, fully able to process this. Andrew McLaren says he let them, this is fascinating, he let them see his face so they could remember it when it was later covered with shame. Remember, these men not only saw the moment of Jesus' transcendence, they would later see something that would almost equally be hard to process. This same face, the glory of God coming through it, bruised, swollen, spit, blood, and dirt covering it, they would see the same face in that way. How do you reconcile those things? It's no wonder that we hear later, years later, the profundity of that experience almost more fully explained. I want you to understand that when, when the disciples saw this, they were seeing the very thing that Moses pled with God to see in Exodus 33. Remember what he said? They're talking, forgive my people. He's talking about how the people have sinned and he's interceding for them. And he says, now let me see your glory. It's almost like he, he, he says, I'm going to take a swing. I'm going to see if I can ask this, that, this thing that's almost beyond asking. Let me see your glory. And, the, and, and God says, it would kill you. I, I, I'll give you a glimpse, much like what the disciples got. I'll give you just a little, because it would kill you. And it would kill you. In fact, it's the very glory that Job speaks of later. or Well, later in the Bible, but earlier. He says, I fear, the reason I don't commit certain sins, he says, I fear the splendor of his power. Wow. What a thing to recognize. That this glory is what we yearn for and yet we can't have because it will kill us. It's the same glory that when Christ returns, men and women will be begging for the mountains to cover them because they can't endure it. Begging because they can't gaze upon his face because he's looking at them. It'll be an awesome day, but a terrible day as well. Please understand. The glory of God is not something that we can lightly deal with. Again, as as I've read the transfiguration before, it's one of those passages you read through and you're like, Jesus kind of became a glow. It seems kind of strange. But we have to understand that this is a living, awesome light and power and glory coming through him. When they saw him, it says they saw his glory. It was living. It was light from within. So much so that John... When he later sees it, just to give you an idea again of what we're talking about, John in the book of Revelation is, hears Jesus speak behind him. He turns it, look, looks at him, and it says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. It wasn't just worship. It was an utter collapse. And this was a righteous man. This was a man that would probably stand in situations where maybe you and I would not. Later, Peter would speak of, of it in his second epistle, and he would say this, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. We ourselves heard this voice that came from, that, from heaven 
when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now, what is so important and interesting about this that Peter says is that Peter's not referring to the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. Those are the things you would think would be the most remarkable. Jesus was dead, and now he's alive. And please, those were remarkable. We're to remember those appearances. This is before his death and resurrection. And he's pointing back to it and says, this experience I'm still processing. This is what we saw. This is who he really is, and it's just a glimpse. And wait, more is coming. We saw Jesus in a way that we did not, even after his resurrection, says Peter. We saw him as he really is and as he is now. They witnessed the kingdom when they saw Jesus this way. And in the midst of the situation, we just quoted Peter. Peter speaks. The second thing that we can kind of understand this situation with, the second reading, the second words, the second statement, is Peter. In the midst of it, you've read this before, you've interacted with it before, and you know the kind of wondrous statements of Peter and also the semi-buffoonish statements of Peter. Peter and the disciples wake up, and Peter isn't one of those guys who, if the moment's quiet, doesn't speak. He can't not speak. And he says, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And who knows exactly what that meant? Because even Peter, it says, didn't know what he was saying. We don't really know what he was saying because he doesn't know what he was really saying. He had been asleep, and coming out of his stupor, he sees Jesus' glory. But you know, lost in this is he sees Moses and Elijah. Isn't that surreal? It would be like if you're married or living with someone, you wake up and you're kind of groggy from a sleep on the couch, and you look, and there at the, t- at the dinner table is Lincoln and Washington with your spouse or with your significant, the person you live with, right? Like, hey, and they're like, hi, it's Abraham Lincoln and George Washington. Now, I'm not trying to put Abraham Lincoln and George Washington on the level of Moses and Elijah, but understand, these were historical pillars to the Jews. Moses and Elijah. It'd be like, again, Washington and Lincoln, two American pillars. And it would be like you saying, um, how about if I make a sandwich for the three of you? You don't know what to do. He says, let me put up three shelters. For, the, for you three important people, let me put up three shelters. It says they were about to leave, and you almost get the impression, Peter's like, oh, no, 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 I've not been a good host. <laughs> Let me, let me make a shelter for you. It says that they'd been talking. They'd been having a discussion. By the way, don't you wonder how he knew it was Moses and Elijah? He must have heard and the, just enough of the discussion that their names were mentioned. I'm sure he had no frame of reference of what they looked like, and I'm relatively certain they weren't wearing name tags. But they'd been talking about, they'd been talking about Jesus' departure. What an amazing thing to witness. And lost in this also, and I think it's worth noting, is Moses and Elijah are alive and doing well. Amen? (laughs) They're alive and well. Jesus, in another passage later on, will be talking with the uh, Sadducees, and he says, "You're, you're, you're terribly mistaken. And I'm paraphrasing, by the way. He says, you're terribly mistaken. He goes, to God, All are alive. They're just in one area or another. But everybody's alive. And I think that's worthy to note. I think we should read this and realize 
that not just Moses and Elijah, the special people, are alive. All who have died, who have gone on before us, are alive to God. They are conscious and aware somewhere. Either with the Lord or apart from the Lord. More than that, they're not only alive and well, but they're still at work. They're still doing things for the kingdom, for God. And they look great. (laughs) They look fantastic. It says they appeared in glorious splendor. They were arrayed, if you will, in glory. Now, there's no great sin in Peter's words. I want to make this clear. But likely there is error, or there seems to be. And it's an error that can lead to sin. And we have to be careful of it. We, the people of God, let alone, I think, humanity, we love to exalt important people. And there's something right about that. We love to put all these people in a certain category where they all belong. And the world, and sometimes we can do the same thing, can kind of put Jesus in that category of the important people. The Dalai Lama says of this story, of this story, he says it's just like Buddha. Just like Buddha. Jesus, at this point, experienced enlightenment. Jesus, Buddha, uh, Muhammad, these, these, these icons, they're all in a category by themselves. We lesser people, there's some greater or lesser people, but man, these people by themselves. But the Bible makes it clear that Jesus stands alone. In fact, the Moseses, the Buddhas, the, the, the Peters, the, 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 you name them, the great people of humanity are all down on our level. And Jesus alone stands tall. He alone is exalted. Amen? Amen. Alone. There's no one like him. And I say that because we're a celebrity worshiping culture, and I can slip into this too. We can start to read, even, we can even start to read great Christians and other people and, and really start to follow them. And, and if we're not careful, we're kind of being led away by Jesus into the teachings of man. He alone is the Son of God. He alone is wisdom incarnate. He alone is the sin conqueror, the death slayer. Peter says, we'll make a shelter for the three of you. And it is at that moment that the Father interrupts Peter. As he was speaking, the cloud appears and the Father speaks. And I don't think that's an accident. I think the Father interrupts Peter and says, careful, Careful where this thinking is going. God says, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. This is my son. Matthew and Mark tell us that he also says, whom I love, whom I love, my beloved son. But this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. He is the chosen one, the Messiah, the single chosen one. They speak to Jesus. Moses and Elijah came to speak to Jesus, not as equals, but as inferior. One is the son, the others are not. One has glory that comes from himself, comes from within. The others have a glory that is derived, that arrays them, that's given to them. They are not chosen, at least not with a capital C. And I think Moses, Elijah, I think every person in this room is a chosen with a small, lowercase, if you will, C. But their chosenness and ours derives from his being the chosen. Do we understand this? 
He is singularly the chosen one who enables us to have purpose and a calling and a chosenness ourselves. But without him, there is none of that. But equally as important, as God says, this is my chosen one, he also says, listen to him. Now, hear this. The Father, in all of these mighty sights, Moses and Elijah, the veil being pulled back so they can see something marvelous, the glory of Jesus, the Father coming down and speaking, he does not say, look at my son. He says, listen to him. You would think in that moment, he would say, don't look at Moses and Elijah, look at Jesus. He doesn't. He says, in the moment, all these glorious things they're seeing, he says, now listen to him. And in that moment, the cloud takes away Elijah and Moses, and it's just Jesus standing there alone again, looking what we would call normal. More important than seeing everybody, and we know this, is the hearing, is the listening. We all want the supernatural. We all long and yearn to see it. And that's not wrong. It's good. And God says one day we will see it. And if you listen to Eric Reed, he was talking about in the, in the first Corinthians passage, one day we will fully see. And it will be awesome. It'll be what we've longed for and yearned for, even if sometimes right now we don't fully realize that. But he says right now, more important than any sight, is that we listen to Jesus. This isn't to the exclusion of others, right? This isn't to the exclusion of other great things to listen to and to read. I listen to podcasts. I read other books, etc., etc. I listen to the television as well as see it. It's to say that everything we see here, listen to, is to be in light of listening to Jesus. It's him we listen to first. Listening to him informs everything else we listen to. We hear, we take in. Again, Moses, Elijah, this is not God saying, don't listen to Moses and Elijah. This is God saying, listen to Moses and Elijah in light of Jesus. In light of Jesus. Well, let me wrap it up. Let me wrap it up with just three summary points, if I might. The glory that Peter, James, and John saw that it was hard for them to process this supernatural experience. It's coming. The glory that Moses yearned to see, ironically, he's seeing it right now, him and this, this character, right? He was able to see it. And he was able to see it because he's in heaven. That's a glory that's coming. We're going to see it. We're going to get that for which we long. Number two, remember that Jesus stands alone. He has no peer. He alone can save. His name alone has power. No celebrity, no great teacher, no angel. Nothing compares to him. And if that's the case, we should heed the words of the Father and listen to him. Amen? Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, just for the moment of being back, Lord, amongst our family whom we so love. But God, thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you, God, for experiences that you give us in life, Lord, that kind of give us a taste of the supernatural that is all around us, but we're unable to fully see and experience.
But more than that, God, we thank and praise you for your word. And we ask that it would dwell deeply within us and that it would change and transform and empower us for service for you and for your kingdom. And we pray this in the name of the King, in the name of Jesus. Amen.